Okay, ready? Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. Season four, and we have some big announcements. The podcast started as an extension of our work and ministry with survivors of sexual exploitation and trafficking. However, these conversations exposed a broader cultural issue impacting Christ followers. So starting in season four, this podcast will attempt to explore the big question, how do we live and love like Jesus today? We are moving the podcast under the religion and spirituality category to explore the wide context of Christ following. So please share the show with others. In this podcast, we will give space for conversation, compassion, and courage as we seek to love God and love our neighbor. Lastly, we're looking to grow our support as there has been no budget for this podcast. So if you listen to the show, would you consider supporting us even at $5 a month by going to JesusSaidLovePodcast.com? Supporters will get bonus content and savings on resources like books, products, and conferences, and raw live video footage of the recording. So how do we live and love like Jesus? Let's find out. Bearded man, what's up? Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. <laughs> I just wanted to try. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And also, I, was, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to speak, but that was definitely not what I was expecting for an intro. <laughs> that, my lady, may be a winner. I'm I was feeling the musical vibes. I'm I'm into musicals. I saw You're into musicals. Civic. You went to a musical last night. I did. I uh, our Waco Civic Theater got to give them a shout out for Bright Star, Steve Martin and Edie Brickell's really fascinating story that they set to music and told. And yeah, I'm kind of I'm just I'm enjoying theater. I'm loving that theater and the arts and the world has opened back up. I am so happy for my friends in Manhattan who are getting to perform on stages again. We're bringing Scott Erickson to Waco at the end of yes. April, and he's going to do his Say Yes show. So I just wanted now, to give a little, now, a little musical well, you know, theater to you. I have a little question because for those of you who are local here in Waco, Texas, you know that Wild Torch is coming up on May the 6th. Right. Emily, tell me, is there going to be a element of theater involved in this year's wild torch there will be brett there will be i i've written an original monologue and i will be playing waco's most infamous notorious madams madam of the red light district miss molly adams so well i do declare molly adams the madam that's who she is, and I I'm so excited to be um, to bring her voice to the stage. And I, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. I, I think you're going to do wonderful, right. and it's going to be amazing. So May the sixth, <laughs> WildTorch.com. Get your tickets. Get your tables. Get you everything there, and come join us at the convention center because it's going to be awesome. <laughs> okay, now that I'm done with that. Who do we have now, on the show? Well, he's probably so confused. He's like, this is not the way any of your podcasts have started before. <clears throat> no, because Kevin. you did that weird introduction. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Got a tickle. It's because I was really trying to sing before warming up. Um, Kevin Sweeney, welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. 
Oh, I appreciate it. I when you guys were talking, obviously not knowing how the intro was gonna go, I thought, how funny would it be if they just talked for 50 minutes? And I just sat here and listened. In the end, you're like, thanks for coming on. <laughs> hey, this uh, has been a week. This has been a week. So who knows what circus is gonna come out of today? I haven't I'm feeling lively. You're from Hawaii. You just woke up. Who knows what's gonna happen over the next hour, right? Yes, yeah, 7.45 a.m. And you see this, I actually put on this nice Aloha shirt for the show because mm. in Hawaii today is what we call Aloha Friday, mm. which is uh, every Friday. And in Hawaii, we have a thing where there's a history to Aloha Friday of sort of from what I know, like transitioning from more formal attire that mm. they would wear on the mainland because it's so hot here to more local, more casual attire, you know, to Aloha shirts. And mm-hmm. there's a famous song out here called Aloha Friday. But for now, culturally, it's like Aloha Friday is just Friday and we're happy <laughs> that it's Friday and we wear Aloha gear if we do. And we get ready to, for the weekend and we meet up with friends and every Friday is Aloha Friday. So I just wanted to bring you guys beautiful. into that. It's beautiful. Well, Kevin has a book coming out uh, called Making of a Mystic. And we are excited to talk about all the things because tell us the subtitle again. I always kind of get it confused. Tell us the subtitle. The subtitle, the I don't have it in front of me, but the subtitle I believe is My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor. And why it's okay for everyone to relax. Yes. Just Just a moment of silence. (laughs) Uh, My journey with mushrooms, my life as a pastor, and why it's okay for everyone to relax. Mm -hmm. I just kind of felt the breath. And what's funny about that is I love titles. I love words. I love subtitles. Like that words is like my world. Like that's mm. what I love. I always have. And I know that subtitle is like intriguing and unique. And for some, it's an immediate like, no, for some, it's a really, huh? Okay. Yeah. But but besides that dynamic, it really does capture mm. my experience of the story of leading up to this spontaneous awakening moment with God when I was 18, the day-to-day, when I talk about the mysticism of every day, the practical, mm-hmm. mystical life and liberated life and the day-to-day life of loving others while being liberated from the need to save and to rescue and to be everything for others. You know, it's like the the journey of a pastor. And then the relax is just that special, you know, thing a mystic has to offer to the world of like, Hey, we're doing this and it's great and it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's hard and it's tragic. And at the same time, somehow mysteriously, it's all okay. And I think we can unclench our jaws, relax our face muscles a bit, take Mm -hmm. a breath and remember it's Aloha Friday. So we also are here to enjoy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That, that is why I do yoga like nearly every day, I think that this, I think that the contemplative way for me in this line of work that we do came to, to be, it really was an invitation a little bit before midlife. And my, my invitation to the slow, slower, unclenched jaw way was through yoga and an Al-Anon recovery group circle. Mm. 
And the 12 steps introduced me to a lot of things. I went on some Benedictine silent retreats that wrecked Mm -hmm. my theology and my experience with silence. And so I'm so interested because growing up as a Southern Baptist evangelical, I didn't know this way. Mm. And so, but I was always drawn to, from college and on, kind of this charismatic idea, like this Mm -hmm. understanding of like the experiential and the spirit and that began to draw me. But then that became very fundamental and boxy too. Mm. So I want you just to talk about that experience like, where did you come from? You have this supernatural experience. And then take us into, because I want to break down later, like, what does it even mean to be a mystic? Like, what are we even talking about? Yeah, I mean, my experience is, it's a, it's a unique one. And it's just, you know, we all have to learn in the midst of the tragedy and the trauma, whatever we go through to fall in love with and accept and embrace our own stories. You know, in my story, while there's a lot of hard things along the way, is one that I love and mm-hmm. one that I love sharing as well. And I, my dad's family is like very traditionally Irish Catholic. So I went to Catholic school first, second, and third grade. Okay. And at, in fourth grade, my family sent me to a public school. So this is, I grew up in Los Angeles area, LA Unified School District. So going to public school at nine, and hearing kids cuss and fight all the time where it's like not that big a deal. I was like, is this salvation? Yeah. <laughs> is this, is this what heaven on earth looks like is we can just fight and cuss and there's not that big a deal. Uh, yeah. It was it, no nuns around to like, no, I was like, I mean, I remember like just, Oh, it was like, I could, I could breathe again and I could mm-hmm. finally have an environment to be me. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, soon like, I don't know however many years it wasn't super long, but I tapered off. Like, I don't want to go to mass, mm-hmm. you know, mom and dad, like, I'm no, that ain't, I'm, I'm done with that. And my mom recently, it's interesting. My mom and I had a conversation about this and she said, I wanted to push you further into that in a sense, mm-hmm. but your dad was like, no, just let, let him, I have two older brothers, just let him be. And they're old enough to make that decision. And we're not going to force them, mm-hmm. which looking back now, was great, was Mm -hmm. so good for me. And I told my mom, I left that experience with the Catholic church really young with what I call a a pleasant indifference Mm -hmm. of, I didn't, I'm thankful for this. I didn't leave the church at that age, you know, and I wasn't like consciously I'm leaving the church. I'm just like, I don't want to go here, you know, because I'm young. Right. And, but that transition out for me and my relationship with the church and with God, there was never oppositional energy, never any anger, never any shame, never any manipulation. But also I didn't leave with like, this is what it means to be connected with Jesus in a personal way. It was just like, that was a thing. And I don't know. And I'm okay. And I don't really think about it. And now looking back, I'm like, that actually benefited me a lot, to be honest, you know, my own exploration. And then this is a part of the book, the whole, my journey with mushrooms, you know, you, you get glimpses. It's not an autobiography, mm-hmm. but you'll get glimpses of defining moments of my own story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, existential crisis at 17 mushrooms as a spiritual guide for me when yeah. I didn't have any, um, this spontaneous awakening moment with God is direct, immediate and transformative and life altering and consciousness rewiring experience at 18, that completely upended my life and 
was the turning point even to where I am today. So I could say more about any of those, but that is a little bit of a way zoomed out picture of how I got there. Okay. So for those of our listeners who may not understand psychedelics and may not understand kind of the spiritual um, component to them that a lot of people use them for, can you explain what that fad or trend or just really generation? I mean, through the ages, Wait, before you explain that though, before you explain that, let me ask this precursor question. Going into your mushroom experience, did you just do like high school kids and let's just go do some mushrooms and then you had this experience or did you go, I want to have an experience, therefore I'm going to do mushrooms and go down that road? Yeah, no, that's a great question. At 16, the first time I did mushrooms, it was definitely like we do drugs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like I have been, people. I have been, yeah, I have been like, you know, drinking and smoking weed since I was really young. Yeah. And so, you know, you get to a certain age, at least for people who are on our trajectory mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, I'm going to experiment with this. We're going to do that. Oh, I just heard the plug. Somebody has mushrooms for a while. It's when you're young. It's like, okay, let's. So it definitely wasn't like at 16, it wasn't yet. I am on a spiritual quest for truth. Yeah. It was me and my friend Squirrel want to do mushrooms and trip out. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, and, and I tell that story in the book, my friend Squirrel, who was with me the night when I had that awakening moment with God was my best friend. And uh, I should have known doing mushrooms with Squirrel wasn't going to turn out well just by the environment. I think <laughs> everyone not, should I, have a friend named Squirrel. Totally. <laughs> he, you know, so I go into it just with like with anything else, but you know, I have a chapter in the book called mushrooms and missionaries. Uh And there's a story in there about Thomas Merton, you know, one of the great Mm -hmm. mystics of the 20th century from my perspective, really reintroduced not only the Catholic church and the church, but in some ways, Western culture and spiritually interested people in the contemplative way and to contemplation. And when he was younger and he was heading towards his, like he was awakening and he was moving towards, you know, his more and more of a big transition and conversion. He met this Hindu monk named Muhammad Brata Brahmachari. And he was this visiting well-known Hindu monk, like lecturing, I think it may be some like Ivy league divinity schools. And Merton goes to him and he asks for guidance, right? Cause he's sort of awakening. Where do I go? Who do I read? Maybe whatever he's asking. And the fascinating thing about, what that monk said to him was this Hindu monk didn't say here, here's our sacred texts from our tradition. Here's people who are from where I'm from. He said, you should go read St. Augustine's confessions and you should read Thomas Akempis's imitation of Christ. Mm-hmm. And let's say those books are integrated into Merton's journey. He eventually becomes one of the great Christians of the 20th century. Now, I don't think it was in that, Hindu monk's job description to be a missionary Mm. for Jesus. Mm. Right. And I say this to some people, let's suspend for a second, the the pressing need to keep having conversations about disentangling that word missionary from all of its colonialist white Mm. supremacist, dominating, exploitative expansion, Mm. empire building things. Cause we know it's caught up in that. Right. That's a huge conversation. It's very important. But if we just think about the good part of a missionary, someone pointing you further towards Christ. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, 
then that monk was an unexpected missionary for Thomas Merton in the same way. That's why I say all that mushrooms were unexpected missionary for me, pointing me beyond themselves towards the fullness of Christ. Because Brett, as time went on, I didn't start off with this is a spiritual quest, but as time went on, it be, it really started to become that consciously mm-hmm. for me and what was happening in my life at the time. And one thing, a defining thing was I started to sense my experiences with mushrooms. I did them 10 times total that they kept saying, yes but keep going. Mm. Like you're seeing a glimpse, you're getting a vision, you're experiencing something real. There's something happening here, but the truth and the source is beyond this. And I'm pointing you beyond that. Whatever you experience here is is in its fullness beyond this. So it was Mm. like, they were a signpost pointing me to the future. I couldn't see. Mm. And they were pointing me to a freedom I desired, but didn't know existed. Mm. And that was a part of that journey was I just kept saying, I'm, there's something real happening and it's opening me up to this greater depth and this, this deeper experience of what it means to be human. This, there's a lot more going on here than we think, but they were signs. They were not the end. They were pointing me mm-hmm. to something beyond. And I was following that thing. So it's interesting to think about, you know, high school kids and maybe we can look back in our own experiences with drinking and sex and drugs and doing all the things that high school kids do. Or maybe you're a parent and you have, you know, a kid who's um, attaching to, you know, different um, ideas than, than you would want them to attach to and those types of things. And I think in the same, with that in mind, that is such a radical, I think, way to view what we would naturally in the church call, you know, bad. And we would say, you know, don't, don't touch, don't look at, don't. And then, but not only that, but then, but that we judge the people, we don't see them as seekers. Mm. We, we wouldn't have seen you as a seeker. Mm, That's interesting. You know, Mm me in the Baptist church is like, Oh, I'm, you know, buttoned up. And you'd be at high school. You'd be like, Hey, Kev's coming. You're all leave. Get out walk away. He's at yeah. the party. We shouldn't be here. Who, who, does, who do we need to report him to? Um, does he play football? We need to tell the coaches. Um, and then I would look at Brett. I'd be like, Hey Brett, even though you're in youth group and you're a good kid, I look in your eyes. You get it, man. You know what's going on. <laughs> totally. Oh my word. <laughs> but I, yeah, but I just, I just wonder, I think that's part of been my, um, experience with women in strip clubs is that, you know, there, there is already an intrinsic bias there as to what these clubs are, who the women are, who the men are that mm-hmm. come there, who the club managers are. And then I get there and it's not that I'm bringing Jesus to the clubs. Jesus is there. Jesus mm-hmm. has been there. I'm, I'm like joining up with this conversation that's been long at work with many of the women's lives. And um, Mm -hmm. is that part of what you in the book are asking people to let go of is some of these hard and fast lines and Mm -hmm. ideas around certain things? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, when it comes to the book and, and, you know, my personal stories, are not the whole book, right? Mm -hmm. They're glimpses of my story. A lot of it's day-to-day stuff, you know, uh, 
what does it mean to have a non-dual vision of reality and also choose your kids over building a platform? Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to it, go on your own journey towards a more liberated life and also mm-hmm. in, in a personal sense and also be a person who can see the person next to you, right? It's very, to me, it's very practical in that sense. Mm-hmm. But in the personal part, I'm not asking that question explicitly. My story itself puts people in a place to ask those questions. Yeah. Because it's just strange, you know? And mm-hmm. even when I talk to people about, you know, your, your deepest self in Christ, you know, this is always beneath before and beyond your beliefs. Mm-hmm. Like I would tell people, you are not your beliefs. You are that which has beliefs, but you are not those beliefs. Even that in and of itself, that mystical insight for me is what the mystics know already raises so many questions as kids mm-hmm. who were raised in churches and taught you are what you believe, believe these right things. When the mystic comes along, it's like, beliefs have a role in this world, but they aren't everything. Mm-hmm. You know, you, whoever, whoever you are, you know, what Zen call like the face you had before you were born, you know, is deeper yeah. than any beliefs mm-hmm. you have. Cause your beliefs are going to change, but there is this still centered point of nothingness. The mystics talk about, which is yeah. actually a fullness. That's the paradox that is your, tr- the deepest part of who you are. So I don't ask people those questions. I just let my life hold up a mirror and a let people reflect on wolf. Cause that was my experience. You know, like my first experience of God was not, do you agree with this belief system? My first experience of God was not, had nothing to do with dogma, had nothing to do with doctrine, had nothing to do with anything explicitly about Jesus yet. Mm. My, my first experience of God was, this universal affirmation of my life. Yeah. It was a giant cosmic and deeply personal. Yes. Like you Mm -hmm. are seen all the questions you've asked consciously and unconsciously through all the ways my ego tried to gain value growing up. You are seen. And those eyes you're seeing with at the center of this universe, you're seeing with a gaze that is a, that is pure affirmation. Like Mm -hmm. my life began with my, my life in God began with pure affirmation. And I, and again, it had nothing to do with morality. Cause if you would have known me right. at that point, I was funny and I, I feel like I was likable, but I was also a horrible person, you know, <laughs> just completely selfish and caught up in my own life and willing right. to objectify anybody along the way to get what I wanted, you know? So, yeah. you know, my experience was unique. And so later on when I'm, when I start to make a transition of, Oh, that, which I experienced here was fully present in Jesus. Cause it was, there was a transition mm-hmm. there. It was never about beliefs at first. It was never mm-hmm. about morality. It was just, there was this union that happened. The foundation of my faith is not beliefs I have about Jesus. Yep. Is it experiential being yep. known by the loving gaze of Christ? You know, so yep. my relationship with beliefs and all that was different, you know, yep. from the very, because it, it forced me to ask the question, like before I, before anyone told me about the quote unquote gospel or an atonement right. theory, I was like, this is already here for me. Yeah, There was no chasm for me that I crossed over when I first heard this thing about that. I was just, oh, we're already here. And I finally woke up to it. So it's all that, that experience obviously has impacted my life as a Christian. Mm. I have so many things whirling around my head right now. That's why we're doing this for two hours today. All right. We're not doing 45 (laughs) minutes. (laughs) I'm also hearing the voices of, of my, uh, 
my rather more conservative friends who would be like, I cannot believe that y'all are having this on your podcast, blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal though. When you read scripture, Jesus meets everyone he meets in the moment of where they're at. Mm. You know what I'm saying? In whatever condition they're in, on whatever drug they're on, with as little of clothes as they have on, and he intersects them right there. And so I just, I, I hear I hear this part of your story and I'm like, yeah, I think Jesus would intersect someone who's using mushrooms. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> he intersected the prostitute in the midst of her, whatever she was doing. And he intersected mm-hmm. Matthew in the midst of his tax collecting. And he intersected Zacchaeus in the midst of doing what. So why wouldn't he mm-hmm. intersect you? in the midst of that? Mm, you know, I, for me, the incarnation is everything, mm-hmm. you know, the incarnational moment of Jesus. And what that story offers us is not just spirit and matter can be fully joined in their fullness here in Jesus, but spirit and matter are fully joined everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. right? It's not just the divine and human coexist or the divine and matter coexist here. The divine and matter are co-mingling, interconnected everywhere. And the incarnation of Jesus to me invites us to wake up to the incarnational moment that is happening everywhere, all around us at all times, including this conversation we're having right now. Mm-hmm. And I really mean that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I say that because... My experience is unique and it was, there's no formula for it. There's no plan for it. And it seems so strange, but I see it. And when you look at the concrete flesh and blood, Jesus, bro, like what you're saying, how Jesus in, in actually as a human is interacting with people. And to me, that same dynamic that's present in him, when you zoom out, the spirit is doing everywhere at all times. Mm -hmm. It's just whether or not people wake up and the spirit and the matter, the union of those moments for me is just one of the many unusual and amazing incarnational moments of the spirit that we saw in Jesus that I think is still happening if we have the eyes to see. And I, I think for people who have a natural resistance or antagonism to that, I think we need to allow this world to be more mysterious and enchanted mm-hmm. and strange and weird and amazing and disturbing and unsettling mm-hmm. and powerful. And we need to allow the spirit to have the freedom to, to just be where, mm-hmm. however that emerges. Why do you think the unknown, and I'm going to choose this word purposefully, why do you think the unknown is so threatening to some? Mm, that's a great question. I th- there's a couple different, I think about the unknown of people who are different. I think about the unknown of when we're embracing uncertainty of the future. But I think the unknown of people and ideas that are different, our ego naturally experiences as a threat. Mm-hmm. We experience... The ego will resist death at all costs. Yes. Letting go is a form of death. That's right. Change, change requires That's death. Right. Forgiveness requires death. That's right. So any outside external force that if embraced, taken in, received, 
listened to and allowed to do some of the work on us that might require us to let go change and move forward or grow or let go of some of our cherished idols or whatever they are. Your ego will have this like seizure contracting moment. It's like a death seizure where it'll contract and fight it. And we are, we're terrified that the other with a capital O might ask us to change or, and what's ironic is there's nothing more we want than growth and nothing we resist more than change. Yeah. That is not setting ourselves up for a winning attitude. That is putting ourselves in a place where we keep reinforcing a cycle. And the fascinating thing about Jesus is I think on the margins and through the stories of Jesus and through the parables, he's turning that upside down and saying, actually, the people you're afraid of and the people you see as other hold the keys towards your freedom. 100%. Yes. Those are the people who actually hold the keys and who have the next lens for you to put on to widen your view of Christ, to widen your view of Jesus, to widen your experience of love, to widen a heart of compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's a tragic, one of the many tragic, ironic things we could see in people is the people we fear and resist the most usually are the ones who are beckoning us towards Mm -hmm. a further life in Christ that we desire, but Mm -hmm. we're just scared. We're scared to let go. We're scared to change. But that's where actual faith, not do you believe this about God, but it's are you going to trust spirit? Are you going to trust God when it feels like you're crossing over a threshold and you're anxious and you're like, would my youth group pastor be mad at me for doing this? Can I love people like this? Can I enter into the environments like this? And a part of you, your body's reacting with anxiety because you're, you feel like you're crossing over a boundary and violating God, but you're ask, actually crossing over a boundary that never actually existed in the first place. That's it only right. existed within you and life is always beyond that. So, so good. That oh, is my, my poetic answer to that question. Not a simple good. <laughs> well answered. Well answered. Well, as the only, um, I think woman right here in the space, I think that you touched on something that I've become very, attuned to in my own body. And that is the invitation of death Mm. in the body of a woman um, is monthly. Mm. And there is this rich understanding of my friend, um, Christy Ballman. She wrote this beautiful book called Theology of the Womb. And we've had her on the podcast before, but it is this understanding that the life, death, rebirth cycle um, is is a profound invitation to union. Mm. And I did not ever, you know, I, Brett and I, I've, I've birthed three children. I've had four miscarriages. Wow. Um, and when, the, I, and I didn't see it then, I knew that these were profound moments, you know, like my body knew, like these are, these are very, like in every cell in my body is like awake to, to the death and the life and to what's being born or what's being grieved. But I don't think that I could even fully see that until years later. And then it just, it undoes me, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of union that you're talking about is, is a trust that on the other side of that is always that affirmation. Absolutely. I'm, I'm held, I'm loved. As I let go, like I can't, I can't really, and this sounds so crazy, but it's like 
nothing can get me. Mm. Mm. Like I'm I'm okay. I'm I'm held. I'm loved. Mm. Mm. I mean, if you want, if you're talking about death, then you know you're really speaking my language. You know, and and you get you you will get a lot of that in the book. And it's like, man, why does this guy talk about death so much? It's like, well, it's because of how powerfully I believe in life. Yeah. You know how like the mystic doesn't have to hold on to anything because they know they're being held by everything. Oh. There's a very different orientation in the world to hold on and white knuckle your beliefs, to hold on and white knuckle the way you think things are supposed to be. Yeah. And then to consistently over and over in, embrace that cycle that you're describing, that you see in nature, that we see mm-hmm. in ourselves, that we see in our skin, right? And and what's funny is, and that is at the center point of the whole biblical narrative. Like that's the story. The whole story is life, death, and resurrection. It's in incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. So for me, I don't view the cross as like this unexpected thing God did to fix things. To me, the cross is in the steady flow of no, it's life. And when you work and live in love, you'll experience death. And then if you trust all the way through, there's resurrection. But for me, that's one interconnected, seamless reality. It's not an mm-hmm. unexpected disruption in the universe is how I kind right. of see that flow. And, you know, all mystics know that death is the secret to life. Mm-hmm. It's the, there's so, you know, whenever you get into the contemplative, when we get into the non-dual, when we get into these deeper, just this, you know, the depth of our life with God, it's always paradoxes, you know, that we're, that we're living in, right? These paradoxes short circuit the rational mind from thinking it can control everything because it can't. So surrendering control is the only way to feel secure. That's counterintuitive. Letting go of the need to protect ourselves is the unexpected path toward being safe. It's counterintuitive, you know, releasing any expectations on life is what opens us up to the possibility to be content with life. The surrendering, letting go and releasing, these are all forms of dying, but the discovery, like what you're saying, Emily, on the other side is dying is what makes living possible. And every time you feel the fullness and you trust the death, now we're talking about the cross part of it on the other side is always the unexpected, unanticipated, but welcomed experience of life and resurrection. And I think for the historically for the mystics, their unique role and the unique gift they have to offer is the mystic is the one who voluntarily chooses to die over and over. That's why I say- Wait, 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 wait. Say that one more time. (laughs) Going to put a hand up. (laughs) I said the mystic is the one who voluntarily chooses to die again and again that's why there's so i think it's in the intro to the book but i said like the the mystic is you know the person who has experienced so many of their own funerals along the way only to discover the funeral is always the entrance to the party Mm. you were white knuckling and holding on to the to refusing to let that thing die forever, that ego need, that specific way you thought life was supposed to work, the illusion you had of life doesn't work like this. I'm going to white knuckle this forever. And I finally release it. I'm like, not only am I okay, but I'm more free over and over. And you see this, like you see this throughout the tradition of mystics. Like when, when Richard Rohr says all spirituality is about letting go. You know, the great medieval mystic Meister Eckhart says, no one gets as much of God as those who are thoroughly dead. Mm-hmm. 
You know, Ken Wilber says every form of meditation is basically a way to transcend the ego or die to the ego, you know, and from our own, from, from the biblical tradition, when Paul says it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, Jesus saying, whoever wants to be, to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. He's talking about different selves. I'm like, this is all this If you want to find your life, you got to lose it. Exactly. What is that life? There is a life apparently we need to lose and there is a life we need to find. And I think the death and letting go and entrusting and crossing over multiple thresholds over and over that we feel like our boundaries of our very self, but they're not. Uh, Everything uh, we let, that's the fascinating thing about control and white knuckling. Everything we let go of, we discover was just getting in the way in the first place, you know? So yeah. The, to me, there's an over-romanticization of mystics and contemplatives because they have such great poetry and one-liners and things to offer us. But I'm like, everyone wants the, the quote that goes on Instagram, but you don't want to Live. sit in those deaths. <laughs> oh, like the, like that way. the mystic voluntarily goes to the places within them that other people have to be forced to go through, through suffering and disruption in their life. And the mystic takes what, what other people are like forced vacations through a time of suffering where you confront yourself more honestly. The mystic is the one who in silence casually goes there and says, Oh, you know, I was actually doing that whole project I had about sports and music or whatever this was, or I, I bought this thing. Oh, that was actually just that part of me that wanted those people to like me. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I'll voluntarily surrender that. Cause that's just a boundary getting in the way. No judgment. No, I'm mm-hmm. mad at myself. It's just, why am I, I don't need to do that anymore. You so know, good. that's a death. That's an overcome. It's a death over and over. We, um, we've talked a lot about trauma on this podcast and we had an author from the Allender Center uh, to talk about these archetypes, the stranger and the orphan and the widow and the transformation. And again, these are just like arbitrary, like archetypes. This is not Mm. solid, but what you're talking about here is something that resonates with me because when, when we look at the archetype of the widow and we look at the death, either the death of dreams, there's this like taste in this acquaintance within the widow and the widow doesn't have to just be a woman who's lost a husband, right? This I'm talking about the, the soul of, of someone who knows what it is to lose when that is embraced instead of resisted, when that is named and when that is accepted that in my life, I have an acquaintance with death. I have a, I have a relationship with, with death and I can mm. name it and see the losses, mm. then the transformation of that is like this queen and this king mm. who is a, who is not afraid to then take and create space for communities, for villages to like gather in. It's like this, it's so interesting to me that in this death, it's not just about my life being somehow okay. Like, okay, I'm great now with living. But it's like this flourishing that invites more people into this big family and this big community. It's just, Mm. it feels so, so much bigger than just a one personal, even though it is so personal of an experience, but the flourishing that society can experience 
um, just feels amazing. Mm. Does that make any sense? <laughs> when you what? when you take in and learn to accept and embrace death, not as a once in a while disruption, but an actual part of the flow of life. Mm-hmm. You, it is a very different relationship you have with life itself, with God, with yourself mm-hmm. and with others. Cause mm-hmm. I no longer have to try to prevent you from failing yes. or struggling because I can accept that and I can go with you there. And I also that's a part of my hope as a Christian, as a person who's paying attention to, to the spirit in this world is like, oh no, there's always, there's always life on the other side of that. You know, we think mm-hmm. our role as parents, we're in very different stages. I have a three and a five-year-old, but you know, our role is not to do everything we can forever to protect our kids from failure, struggle, or death. Mm-hmm. It's to give them the freedom to do that, regulate ourselves along the way and our, our compulsions to be like, that kid on the playground, don't freaking touch my, don't you ever reject. <laughs> oh, I'm like, well, my kid has to sometime experience what it's like for another kid to not want to play with them. Now I might, I have to be like, Hey, Kevin, it's cool, man. You ain't got to go over there and step in right now. Let him be on the playground. Oh. But you learn to trust that because it isn't life cannot be a management technique to avoid death. It has to be a radical embrace of the thousands of deaths that are a part of the flow. And I forget what chapter it's in, but one of the things I say in the book is when our absolute attention to the dark Mm. is enveloped in an absolute awareness of the light becomes an unconditional acceptance of what is. That is the gift of the non-dual mind. And I think what the way of Jesus is showing us is that like joy and pain, light and dark, death and life, they're not two separate opposite end categories that we normally think them they're all a part of the same flow and and Mm. for me except it actually we spoke about this before the you know one of the strangest and most amazing intros i ever heard in my life to a podcast (laughs) but before that you know for the listeners listening in you know my wife and i are church planners we started a church in this neighborhood of kaka'ako which is like the unofficial arts district in honolulu like Mm. almost 10 years ago And we started in our home and then moved into this neighborhood. And, you know, along the way and how I got to where I am is during this, we announced in January, we're moving into the last chapter of Imagine, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. that's a whole different story of how we got there. I always sensed I would do this for about 10 years. And then clearly the struggles and the challenges and the pain and just heartbreak of COVID Mm-hmm. starting to reopen last fall thinking there's another two to three year chapter and within six weeks or so being like this is the last chapter but it's not a two to three year one of rebuilding and we started to transition from sort of resurrection and rebirth to mm-hmm. this is starting to feel more like hospice care mm-hmm. for the community that mm-hmm. was a metaphor for me where I was like, mm-hmm. wow, the relationship you have with someone living or something living when you're fighting to preserve and fighting for them for uh-huh. longer life or the hospice transition of, no, actually the goal isn't prolonging this. It's being as present as possible yeah. to this in the end. And we started to make that transition. And, you know, the the acceptance of that along the way, the, what I realized in that process and I'm, or I saw with clarity is acceptance is like a container. Mm. 
Mm. So think about like a container that's holding things. Mm -hmm. Acceptance is a container that can hold life and death, joy and pain, light and dark. It holds all of it together and shakes it all up and just transfigures it into one thing, which is your life. Our ego wants to fight all that. No, it's death or life. Like, let's just get over right. the death as soon as possible and embrace this. Let's get over the suffering as soon as we can't do this. No, acceptance. And like, so I say the mystic is a person who can live with pure acceptance yeah. without any resistance because they trust the death so much because of how much life and resurrection and indestructible union on the other side, they know for themselves over and over. Acceptance is a container that breaks down the either or and binaries of all those shakes them all up. And it's like, this is all one thing. Mm -hmm. And about suffering and death, I would tell people, you don't have to learn to enjoy it. I don't enjoy those hard, those moments of my right. life where I'm in more of a death and harder part. You don't have to learn to enjoy it, but you do have to learn to embrace it. Mm -hmm. That is a part of the mystery of you can embrace the hard and heavy parts of life, just as wholeheartedly as the good ones, even when you don't enjoy it, you have to embrace it and take it into yourself and let it exhaust it of its power over you. And to me, that's the invitation of the way of Jesus is like, you can trust all that because when it's over, it's all resurrection. It's all mm. for the mystic. It's the laughter after the letting go, mm. you know, it's the heavy, it's the hilariousness after the heaviness. It's the, the celebration after the struggle. It's the mystics are, irreverent and they seem like they don't take things seriously and they're too like the, does this guy ever stop joking around like if you've mm. met me at certain times it's like yeah I, I take I've taken life so seriously that I finally have discovered I don't have to take it seriously at all even though I do still <laughs> take it seriously you know what I'm saying there's, like that's yeah. the thing <laughs> and there's um there's so much joy that is present just in mm. your countenance too. Mm. This just of being able to to walk in the world that we're living in right now and still mm. go. These are really hard things and suffering things, but it seems to be that the invitation you're saying is that the mystics can hold on to hope and to something mm. better um, mm. than what we're physically seeing and what we're physically enduring at the time. Mm. Mm -hmm. well, on the book trailer, you you talk just a little, the promo video that you have, um, you talk about freedom. Mm. It's it's like freedom, freedom, freedom. And my favorite part of your video is when you jumped off the cliff. <laughs> it's my favorite because that was really tall. I do want to ask how tall was that? That was probably like 50 feet-ish. The there, highest it wasn't I've ever like, jumped is wasn't 40. Massive. Yeah, it like, was like it that's was taller. massive for me. 40 no, it was taller than massive. that. <laughs> and we jumped in Curacao. Brett didn't jump, but I jumped first in my three kids. Oh, I'm not Brett, free. you just had to throw that in there. I'm not no, free. She's like, like, I don't, like, we we were there. No, it's like, like, I mean, no. Brett didn't jump, obviously. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I was having a beverage. I just mean, like, that's just. <laughs> That's not his, he's not like, I don't need to prove that. He's like, I don't, mm -hmm. there's nothing that I like need from that. <laughs> and it is kind of weird that, that we were just at a restaurant and people were jumping off a cliff and we were like, mm. oh, like, should we like, are there other, you know? And so, um, I, I love that part, but you talk mm -hmm. about freedom and the verse of course that comes to mind is that, and I've come back to again and again, is that it is for freedom. Mm -hmm. that Christ set us free. The point mm -hmm. of Christ is freedom. 
Mm. It's not like it is for the removal of sins that Christ has set you free. Mm. It is for the good life that you could have that Christ has set you free. It's for peace that you that He set you free. Mm. It's He didn't it's even say it's for joy, heaven. or it's yeah. <laughs> it's for freedom, and that mm. that kind of perplexes me a little bit. So I want you to talk about freedom a little bit with this. I mean, I feel like you know a part of the whole like when I talk about this crisis as a teenager leading up to that first experience of God was the way my spiritual journey began was I was a radical inward journey. Mm. You know, it was, I went deep enough into myself where I discovered God and you go deep enough to God and you discover yourself, right? There's a symbiotic relationship there. And one of the things you recognize when you take a real radical inward journey is you recognize what oftentimes people associate more with like Buddhists using this language, but you recognize illusions, yeah, that's a bit, it's an important word for me in my life. You know, you recognize the illusions you have about life. What is an illusion? It's just a false belief, but usually in the spiritual life, it's what we invest a lot of our heart and energy into. When I was young, it was, if I'm the best basketball player, because there's a lot of pressure on me to play in college and I was on that trajectory and I've given my whole life to prepare for this moment. And it's, well, if I'm a great basketball player and people see me like that means I'm valuable. Mm. That's an illusion. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if enough people admire me, that'll make me happy or whole, that's an illusion. You know, mm-hmm. we can see that around us constantly over yeah. and over, you know, it's, there's so an illusion is something you invest that doesn't work. You're, you're giving so much to it. And I realized I was like, man, do I love basketball or does mm-hmm. my ego just need basketball to create a sense of value for me outside of myself? And like, and if so, and am I, is my whole life being driven by the need for appro- approval from others? Because if that's the case, I'm not free. I yeah. need you to help tell me who I am over and over. And you live and die with every interaction. And that is how I grew up, you know? And yeah. I was involved in music growing up too and starting to record and starting to get clout from that. It's the same dynamic though. Sure. Kevin does this. He's special. Now I'm valuable. And yeah. I just, and even with, even with substances and getting high my whole life, I'm like, Dude, I'm honest with myself. I don't, we had a saying, like it was a joke growing up. It's like, we don't smoke weed to get, to get high. We smoke weed to get by, mm-hmm. you know, just to make it mm-hmm. through the day and to fall asleep. How am I supposed to sleep without this basically? Yeah. And I was so aware I was caught up in a cycle of constantly just fulfilling desires and living into these illusions, even at that age. And I was like, it's funny to think this now, but I was at this kid's house after school. He was like the plug, which means that's where I picked up bigger port, you know, amounts of weed from to then sell to other people. And I remember sitting outside of his house at 17 and I had this thought, I just want to be like dot, dot, dot. Like I just, can I just not perform for this person, get high again, do this thing. Is, is there ever a way for me to just, I'm sitting in a room alone and I'm just as free as I am if other people saw me or not. Is there a way to just be and be okay with that? That's the freedom for me is the freedom to just be, which is mm-hmm. why Thomas Merton says to be a saint for me is to be myself. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that that was what I wanted? And for me, freedom meant I could be seen or not be seen and I'm okay. I could do, I could fail or do this and I'm okay. I could, what either way that the conclusions already been given. And is there a path towards that? Now I do want to offer a sidebar on that. When you grow up, 
As a cisgender, heterosexual, white male in the United States of America, I occupy arguably the most privileged position on the entire planet. Mm -hmm. And so because of me growing up with the degree of privilege I have, I didn't have to primarily think about freedom in terms of like social and political and economic because of power and privilege. Mm -hmm. So I acknowledge all of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Mm -hmm. I'm aware of how those dynamics work. And so that experience of freedom as a personal and existential, which is a part of it. There's also a bigger conversation about social economic issues, but I'm like, I just want to be myself. Yeah. I just want to stop having to perform. I just want to be okay. No matter where I'm at. That's what I saw as freedom of like, and now it's the freedom to create without a fear of failure. It's a freedom to risk. It's a freedom to love others without having to shut my heart down. It's a freedom to welcome new people into my life without closing down and getting bitter and deciding the deaths is too much in the world. And I can't embrace life anymore. No freedom means I can live open hearted and honest and authentic wherever I am. And regardless of what that means, how other people take that. So that's always been my drive. And I feel like still is to this day Mm -hmm. is that desire. I think that it was Thomas Merton who said at the ground of your being, he talked about the ground of your being. Is that right? I'm going back to like a silent retreat I took one time. Well, Paul, I mean, Paul Tillich as like an existential philosopher talks about the ground of being, but I mean, I'm sure many people have used that language after. You and know? I think about that freedom because the first time I did a silent retreat, I didn't know it was silent. I didn't know I had signed up for a silent retreat with my best friend that I only get to see once a year. And then we went to this monastery and we had to be completely silent for three days. And so that was a real switch for me. Um, You're like, I thought I was here to speak. <laughs> I'm like, I thought we were here to really I prepared connect. two talks. <laughs> like, okay. Um, so Sister Macrina is, she's no longer with us. She was a nun, a Benedictine nun in um, Arkansas. And she, she told us, because she would have these teaching sessions and then we'd like go off into the silence. And we'd do this like ritual of like entering the silence. And the first night that we were there, she said, for some of you who've never done this retreat before, you're going to meet the silence for the first time, and it'll be a different silence than you've ever met. And different things will come up for each of you. And she said, but there's only one phrase I want you to remember that I want you to take with you to the silence and just say this over and over with whatever response, if it's anxiety, if it's sleep, if it's whatever your body does with that silence. And she said, here's the phrase. And we just repeated it together over and over until we walked out the door and then we didn't say it anymore. But it was, I begin at beloved. Mm. I begin at beloved. And we Mm. just kept saying, I begin at beloved. And I had no, I knew that I was loved. I knew, I had no idea what was waiting I had no idea. And you're right. That nothingness that you encounter somehow is transformed into the fullest, Mm. like Moses basket on the water. Uh, It's Mm. like, I am just, how is this? How did I not know this? You know? Mm. Um, But that's, that's then the freedom that like, once you taste it, I think that what you're at, what you're saying is we get to move in that kind of freedom that, that we're just hemmed in all around. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of the things I want for people, you know, even in my transition out of, you know, congregational life, you know, mm-hmm. in the next couple of months, <clears throat> I'm never going to stop doing what I'm doing and saying what I'm saying. Cause I didn't, besides specific things of organizing a church, like I would tell people, you don't do things because you're a pastor. It's appropriate to call someone a pastor because they do these things. Mm. Like real spiritual authority doesn't come from position. It comes from trust and relationship and authenticity. Like Say that again. Say that again. Say that again. <laughs> I forget what I said. <laughs> real like, authority doesn't come real, from. Yeah, yeah real, real spiritual authority doesn't come from position. It comes from embodiment and trust and relationship. You know, where me offering myself as a guide to people, me wanting to be like so often the great mystics and spiritual teachers, they're, they're alarm clocks Mm. just here to wake people up, wake Mm. people up to what, well, that's a, we can, that's a more complex conversation, but if you just waking people up and that's what I want to do and that's what I do naturally. And that's what I've always done to some degree is I look at other people and I say, you know, if, if I was them, this is what I would want someone to do for me. Mm. And, and most of the times in my life that hasn't happened, mm. you know, ha- having great mentors or having great, like that has been something that has been a lack mm-hmm. in my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's not always easy. And I'm very sensitive and I can see other people and be like, Oh, if I was them, this, I would want someone to be like, Hey, I see you, you have something mm-hmm. special. Like I'm with you, you know? Mm. And that whole, you begin with the beloved. It's like, I just want to tell people, you know, you're okay. Yeah. And I think I have this, this chapter in the book called, I forget what it's called. It's like vicarious value, social ladders and career choices. Mm. You know, just about like the Christian yeah. industrial complex totally. and all of that. And to me, a part of the freedom we're talking about in our unique kind of culture we live in is how do you, have a holy sense of ambition to create without losing your soul to the Christian industrial complex. Oh, you know, gosh. that's such a niche thing where most people are with the, what the hell does that even mean? But we know what that means. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah. me going into the publishing industry more knows it even more right. and more, but there's this funny, well, I tell a story of going to this like Richard Rohr event, you know, who's like a hero of yeah. mine back yeah. like in 2015 or whatever. Um, and I'm like, we go to events and let's say there's someone you look up to like in music or a spiritual teacher, whoever it is. And we go to these events and our ego has these like really funny delusions and fantasies about <laughs> the special teacher is going to call me out in oh, front of everybody yeah. or befriend me and be like, you sir are the one <laughs> you're the special one. You have the answers. Yeah. Hey, everybody, I just want you to know I am passing the torch to this young person right here. So pay attention and I think about that because my ego has had those fantasies sure. and delusions. None of them have ever come true. Yeah. I'm fine. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I'm like, well, what is really the substance within that thought and desire? Mm-hmm. We want them to look at us and be like, you, that special thing you think you have, you do have. I know. And I yeah. see you and I'm willing to go with you along the way on this journey and help it become actualized. Like something like that. And I think to myself, what are we looking for? Permission, mm-hmm. validation, confirmation, affirmation. 
And a part of the freedom when we think about creating and living authentically, not just inwardly, but Mm. in our actual offering to the world is waking up to the spirit that is within us. That's saying you, everything you want that person to tell you, you already know is true. Yes. You already know you have that gift. Mm. You already know. And that's not about arrogance. That's about recognition. It's not, you know, you have that gift. You know, you can bring this into the world. You know, you have something special to offer. And that's a part of authority of awaken to me, awakened spiritual authority. That's the Mm. power of really being known by God is the more you have experienced directly for yourself, spirit and the affirmation of love, the less you need permission and validation from others. And whatever we think we want from our heroes or Richard Rohr or this teacher, whoever it is at a deeper level, you already know. And this, like from the beginning of imagine that's the name of our church. Mm. I would tell people, we ask our elders for wisdom, but we never ask for permission because mm. that's not theirs to give us the that's way we love, the way we embrace, the way we accept the way I no, I mean, he, they're not here in, in, in our neighborhood. They don't know the people who are here. They don't know yeah. the uniqueness of my story or the, who this community is. No wisdom, but permission. And that is, if that is a great freedom when we talk about this on a creative level and the fruit is like, Whatever you want that person to recognize, you already know. And the spirit saying, you do, the spirit isn't the authority of spirit authorizes us to do the things we really want to do and we mm. can do. And we think we need someone else to give us permission. And there is a great discovery that we don't. And yeah. it's just here and we can start doing it. So do you offer as you're, as you're transitioning out and you're closing the doors of imagine what I know that you've got this book that you are offering in the world. Are you also, are you doing personal guides, retreats? Like can people learn from you? Is your book kind of the first step? What Mm. are you imagining about Mm. what's next? Yeah, that's funny. My wife and I were talking about this late last night. (laughs) I have, let's see, on a practical level. So this, my first book comes out May 31st, Making of a Mystic. Follow me on Instagram at Kevin Sweeney one to follow the details when it's up for pre-order, et cetera. Okay. (laughs) I have a second, I have, I have a second publishing deal. Mm. that I haven't really talked about much yet for another book that comes out in January on January 3rd of next year. Okay. It's called let it's it's, the tentative title is the joy of letting go. Mm. How one thing has the power to change everything. A la a lot of this conversation we're having today. And then I'm like in my process of writing a third too. Mm. So from now we're essentially closing our church. The last chapter is ending around June ish. So what I see for the next 18 months is the writing, the connecting, you know, doing things like this, the establishing of relationships, because I desire to do some of the things you're saying. Mm -hmm. Retreats, teaching this, the connections Mm -hmm. we have. Now I have friends, you know, in Waco, Mm -hmm. you know, now I have, I met, I connected with them here and okay. Oh, like, Hey, we should do this. Oh, Kevin, like me is, I didn't try to establish my cultural voice beyond Hawaii and beyond our community the last seven years, I was really hyper-focused on what am I doing locally? Yeah, for sure. It wasn't my time yet. And I wasn't doing that. Yeah. And for me, I think through the writing and 
there is opportunities beget opportunities. And I see some of the things you're saying as a part of the future. My wife and I are like, maybe we have one more dream and thing to start up <laughs> together for the future. Because my wife's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. She's a pastor. She's a she's a boss. She's the professional responsible one in the family. I've learned from her <laughs> along the way. You know, uh, so there there's uncertainty in the form of what I'm going to be doing, but the flow and the substance is this, you know, still mm-hmm. the teaching, still the guiding. And I think a big part is my energy is transitioning from local to like trans-local and trans-cultural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being able to connect with folks like you, being able to travel and do some other things that I think are beyond this. So there's the flow that continues. But to be honest, the form is very uncertain. I have dreams and desires and doing things, but I'm not rushing into any of those things because that isn't the time to do that. I do feel like at the end of next year, I just have the sense of like, all right, the next 18 months will clarify opportunities will arise and we'll see where we go from there. Mm -hmm. So Mm. the flow continues. The form is still a mystery and I'm comfortable with that uncertainty and ambiguity. That's amazing. I am. I'm excited to to read the book because I haven't read it yet. I've only read the excerpt, seen the trailer and, and I, I think the invitation that you're giving to so many of us, especially where we are right now in, in culture and for those of us who come from faith is you talk about how, you know, deconstruction is a word that continues to go on, but that this book was really written from a place of joy. It's not mm-hmm. written from a place of angst and, mm-hmm. you know, your, your heart is, is connection mm-hmm. and joy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like somewhere in the press release. And I, I don't know if it's in the book or if I just use it for that, but it's like when everyone's talking about deconstruction, something else and their faith falling apart, this boy's, this book's written from the place of joy and freedom and light on the other side. And mm-hmm. that in no way is diminishing the struggle and trauma and Absolutely. challenge of that first stage of deconstruction. Someone from my vantage point can zoom out and other people as well and say, <clears throat> what everybody talk about deconstruction right now is actually how it's used culturally, especially for evangelicals, is actually the transition from one stage of faith to another. Mm-hmm. If, you're, yes. if anyone's familiar with development. We are, yeah. Will you say that again? Because I'm so... <laughs> woke up. I am... No, our daughter's texting. No, Brett's eyes were closed, and then I said that, he just came back. (laughs) No, no, I'm I'm over here looking at my phone. No, for real, because here's the deal. I'm so tired of of pastor... We live in the South, down in in Jesus land, where everybody's a Christian, right? And it's like these very intelligent men, because that's who the pastors are, they're, they're saying, stop, stop with this deconstruction language. Stop with, mm. stop saying that. And I find myself going, but why? Because scripture says, work out your faith, right? Work it out, mm. work it out. What if deconstruct, use whatever word you want. The buzzwords deconstruction. Why are we so threatened by that? Because every reformation has begun with deconstruction. <laughs> it's because we we are building, uh, we are changing. we are building our foundation on a system and not on a person. We care about mm. doctrine more than we care about people. Mm. Yeah, and and mm. I just think we have to be careful because Jesus didn't die on a cross for doctrine. Mm. <laughs> right. 
Oh man, you know that's that's. And I know that's a... going to get me in trouble with some of my friends, but I'm I'm just so tired of of people who talk about this great big God and they're so threatened by such small little words like deconstruction. You know <laughs> that, like the the vantage point is to say. Let's say if people are familiar with developmental theories like spiral dynamics or even like James Fowler, who's a Christian pastor and I believe a psychologist who has his own versions of stages of faith. Someone could zoom out and say, when we talk about that, that's actually just a transition from one stage of faith to another. It's actually it's natural and it's test. It's actually you see it, you know, happening historically. But when you're in it, it's just so for people in that stage, that first stage of de- what's called deconstruction and how it's used now, it's the first time people have stepped outside of their belief system and actually analyzed their belief system as a belief system. Mm-hmm. The first time you're asking questions, the first time you're taking apart, the first time you're like, wait, I, you just, ass- before you just look through a lens and you didn't know it. Now you look outside, you're like, I was given a lens. Right. I was that. Is this truth or is that just how my mom and dad is this like family systems, religion, and spirituality all get mm-hmm. woven together in a mm-hmm. very confusing, entangled knot? And you start taking that apart and it gets overwhelming. And so for me, I can understand that that is a necessary stage, um, but it's just one stage. And you will, if, if you keep growing and evolving, you'll go through more. Mm-hmm. Like, if I use Fowler, like the Christian pastors thing, like you're going from stage three to four, maybe getting a vision of five. Well, for him, there's also a stage six. And for developmental theorists, there's many stages after if you keep mm-hmm. evolving. Mm-hmm. And also, Brett, you know, we even look at the scriptures. From my perspective, you see humanity's understanding of God evolve <laughs> and grow throughout scripture. Correct. Like I love the, in, in Hosea two sixteen, you know, there it's, I forget the exact wording, but it's like, you know, you used to call me master, but now you will call me husband. Mm. And I think that word for master was like that word, like however you pronounce it, like Baal, you know, or Baal. It's like the idea of a foreign God who's angry and against us. And like, we're, you know, appeasing the gods, you know, and it's funny mm. how we still feel those energies today within yeah. us, you know? Yeah. But for God to say, you used to look at me like this, but now you can call me husband or in a covenant relationship, that is a drastically different way of seeing and relating to God. And that did not happen from some guys in your church who were on the fringe and having a beer after talking about like, come on, bro, that sermon, like I'm done, (laughs) you know, like it's actually like this. No, that's, that is a story in the scriptures of the spirit of God Mm. being the initiating or the recognizer of a transition and a growth of faith. And for me, you see that in multiple places and Jesus is a giant leap. Mm. You've heard it said, but I say the whole thing is not the way you thought it was. And so my book, and that's a part of my life was, is I'm not here to fight the old. Mm -hmm. I'm here to build and create and enjoy the new. Cause after that initial stage of deconstruction, when it is antagonism and there is anger, I get all that. Yeah. And there's hurt, you know, it's confusing because there could be personal hurt involved along with the conceptual. It's a, it's a lot. And I, I know how real that is, but eventually 
there's just still life to give and things to create and things to enjoy. And we can't stay oppositional, angry and frustrated and antagonistic forever. That's not the freedom you were talking about, Emily, we were created for. That's not the joy that we desire, Brett. That's not that. And Mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, there's so many people doing that, you know, like here's how we transition from the old to the new. And that is helpful because it's like a guy, but I'm like, I'm just so not there. Mm-hmm. If I was 20, if I was still 24, three, I would have a similar energy at that point. Cause that's uh-huh. when I first went through like, that big paradigm shift. Uh-huh. But I'm like, no, after that, it's like, it's still good. I'm still a Christian regardless <laughs> of whether or not everybody wants to claim me. For me, uh-huh. it keeps getting better. It keeps getting wider. It keeps getting more amazing. I've, I'm more free than I na- I am now and filled with more joy than I was 10 years ago before I started the church. You know, I'm still, I'm more alive than I, I'm yeah. more awake and alive and free. And I'm even going through the grief of closing down something I've given almost a decade of my life to my wife and I, mm-hmm. I'm excited and energized and have imagination mm-hmm. for the future. And I think people are still waking up and the spirit is still present and life's still amazing, mm-hmm. you know? So I just don't, for me, I don't spend my energy wrestling with the old thing. I'm like, after that, it's we're, we're building and creating and enjoying the new. And that's where my energy is. Mm. I have so many more questions. I just feel like I could just keep on just picking your well, I thought this, was, this about... is like a two and a half hour podcast. <laughs> I have to pick but... up kids. That's right. That's right. It is. We forgot to schedule we it. We are in yeah, different time zones. That's, that's the schedule for me. I'm like, well, it's not even 9 a.m. here. I got till yeah. noon. What's up? It's Aloha like, Friday. It's 2 o'clock. It is. <laughs> it's Aloha Friday. Just grab a Mai Tai and some poi and let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're going to, my wife and I were at 11. We're going to meet some friends to surf and whatever. Oh you know, that's gosh. it. Just <laughs> Amazing. Whatever. You're living... You know, I, we've only been to Hawaii once and um, our kids, it's their dreamland because when they were little, they've never been. But when the girls were little, they were obsessed with the Soul Surfer movie. And so mm. their like dream was, which is so crazy because I'm like, you guys want to go there and you know, she got her arm bitten off by a mm. shark surfing, but mm. they they didn't care. Um, they were just like ready to go. So we still haven't. We still haven't been able to get they our would, kids. They would actually Hawaii. put their arm inside they their would. surf shirt. Wow. Surf shirts. Like as wow. little girls, they would and like right. emulate. Like we're going to be Bethany yeah. and get okay? in the pool. <laughs> we're like, okay, mm. well. Well, if if it ever happens, we Honolulu is on Oahu. You know, it's the gathering yeah. place. It's the, you know, the most crowded island. But turtles, mm. sharks, waterfalls. I'm tapped in. So you okay. guys just hit me up and let me know. Because uh, there's there's Hawaii people experience when they're only staying in Waikiki. And then there's right. when you know somebody and there's a whole different side of things that you can do. So just know you got a friend out here. So uh, if that ever works out. I would adore it. And have y'all opened back up? Because co- Hawaii was really tight on COVID restrictions. Pretty much the tightest. Yeah. And we actually, today's Friday... Last week, basically this past week was the first time our indoor mask mandate has been gone. It's only been one week. Are you serious? No, this is the first time we our indoor mask mandate has been done. It ended on sat, like Saturday of last week. It's been so it's been basically a week. The first time we're like we're my, my I like am in a Target or my wife goes with the kids and we're like whoa like 
like we this see is trippy. You're like wanting to touch people's faces. Yeah, like, I know. Oh. It's, and and yeah, it's been one of the most locked down and like kind of very cautious mm-hmm. with all that, mm-hmm. you know. And which for me is cool because I'm like, I get it. It's an island. It has its own unique thing all the time culturally. So I was I was never like raging against yeah. that system, even though I personally don't. I just masks are uncomfortable to me. They overwhelm yeah. me. I get really hot. Yeah. But I'm like, it's cool. I, I'm not the type of like trips on those things. And, right. You know, but right. it is nice now. I'm like, okay, let's, there's yeah. the slow movement. We've been way, way in a different place than other people. Wow. Well, I mean, and the South COVID ended, you know, like a year and a half ago. Two, yeah. So. Two, Texas. Years ago two years ago, man. Come <laughs> Texas on. is its own COVID, nation. COVID didn't even come here. Much. What are you talking about? We wore masks. And it never even hit Florida, which is crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so wild. So okay. Wild. Remind, remind our listeners again where they can find all things you. The best place for now, I would say, is on Instagram. It's probably where the most active in keeping people up. So it's just at Kevin Sweeney One, the number one. So at Kevin Sweeney One book, The Making of a Mystic is coming out May 31st. I will announce as soon as it goes up for pre-order. And also, I might have some cool, interesting things to come along with the book that people can also, you know, purchase and bring into their lives, you know. Uh that, that will come out, you know, some stuff I've, I've been designing and working on. Like a koozie? Um, I have my, uh, just for a personal one for you. I'm going to send, oh, I'll try to send you one. Thank um, you. I, I like koozies. Actually, no, I'm going to take, I'm going to take that back. I have a bad memory and I'll forget and I'll feel bad. So never mind. I'll take that back, but <laughs> I will license it. You can do what you can make one and then just let me know. Hey, look, Kevin, like permanent marker, making him a mystery. It's your koozie. Um, my own podcast, the church needs therapy. Okay. Yes. So maybe like, a, it's not exact, but around half of those are interviews I do with people. Other half are me doing my own mm-hmm. kind of teaching on there. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably the best right now is just tap into those Instagram, follow along the journey. You can stay in tune with all of this. And, uh, I do, I, before I go, I want to say this, I'm on the 37th floor of our building Mm. right now. That's, we live like in a tower in in Mm -hmm. the neighborhood we're in. And when I started writing like late summer-ish, early fall, this book in 2020, before I wrote, and as, you know, with being in music, you know, and and being creatives, when I would sit down and write pretty much every time before, I would have some sort of moment in silence and prayer that just said, I surrender all of the outcomes, all of the specifics, all of the ways your ego wants to control what this Mm -hmm. is supposed to do. Let me just surrender all of that. And then let me just create and focus Mm -hmm. on what I'm making. Because when we talked about freedom before and when it's connected with creativity, for me, the joy is in the making, Mm -hmm. the gift is in the giving, and the life is in the creating itself. Mm -hmm. And when you you know that, it's a different way of creating. but, you know, I would, that doesn't mean I didn't have desires. Like I want this to get published. You know, I want to be able to come on podcasts and talk about it. I want that, but let me surrender that. Let me just focus mm. now with all that said to be in the same love seat that turned into like my wife's and my like office in this mm-hmm. room for this whole time of lockdown and to now be on podcasts and this one right now. And the other ones I'm on, I don't take it for granted. Cause I'm really grateful because I dreamt of, these moments, you know, I don't take publishing for granted. I don't take being able to write for granted. I don't take coming on this show for granted and doing things like this, which I see as 
amazing steps into this next chapter of my life. As a first-time author who you two haven't seen on like, oh, he's on, because I'm just recording him right now. Oh, he's on that podcast. That's cool. We know what that is, or he's on that. So to not see me on those and to be willing to bring me on is something I really, really, really appreciate and I'm really grateful for. So for both of you, spending the energy for Jersey, you know, mm-hmm. spending the energy to make it happen, you know, like I, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. I don't take it for granted. And I'm, I'm, it's for me such a gift to be able to be here with both of you. Mm-hmm. You've given us so much to fuel our thoughts and our spirits and just it's it's been a real treasure to really learn from you and i will say to our listeners because we didn't know him through anything we did have a conversation because i wanted to know like who is this guy like are we going to connect and is what he's saying something that will resonate with our audience so um we knew we knew right away that that this would be a good space and that you would give us fuel to feel to think through you know faith and culture and being in the world um it's just been great it's a good it's a good place to be so thank you